Hello, happy Friday, February 23rd. This week has felt very big, hasn't it? And can you believe it's been three years now since Tiger Woods crashed his car just out of LA and injured both of his legs? I remember that day so vividly. Anyway, we have heaps to talk about, so kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. This weekend marks two years since Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the beginning of a war that shows no sign of easing. We're speaking to the Ukrainian ambassador to New Zealand and Australia and a journalist on the ground. Super Rugby Pacific is back. We've got games galore this weekend and the one, the only Sky commentator, Jeff Wilson's in for a yarn. All that is coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Tomorrow, Saturday, February 24th, it will be two years since Russia invaded Ukraine. The former Soviet nation that gained independence more than 30 years ago has managed to withstand a relentless onslaught with Western backing. But a counteroffensive in the middle of last year failed to make any progress and in just the past week, Ukrainian troops have had to withdraw from the city of Avdivka as Moscow continues to be prepared to suffer enormous troop losses and to spend a significant amount of money on weaponry in order to be successful in this conflict. And the important support from the US is looking more shaky. So can Ukraine continue to battle on? We're joined now by Vasil Moroshnichenko, the ambassador of Ukraine to Australia and New Zealand. Kia ora, ambassador. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling with the second anniversary of the war approaching? Oh, it's been, um, it's been quite painful, I have to say. Uh, mm. We cannot believe that this war, large-scale war, has been ongoing for two years. Um, actually, it's already 10 years since Russia originally invaded Ukraine. But the past two years has been very intensive. It had a huge toll on the Ukrainian population. We've seen lots of parts of Ukraine destroyed. We see over 5 million people who became refugees outside of Ukraine. And um, enormous hardship. People are suffering. And uh, however, at the same time, people maintain the resilience. And I think this is what Vladimir Putin has underestimated. He underestimated the resilience of the Ukrainian people to fight and defend uh, our country. When you talk to people from home, have people's thoughts about the war changed at all? Look, I was just there very recently in uh, January, just um, over a month ago. And um, of course, when you come during winter, and it's dark and cold, mm. it also gives you a different perspective about what's going on. And then you hear explosions or you hear some missiles, Russian missiles coming. And these days, lots of those um, missiles are, are hitting the critical infrastructure, trying to disrupt power supply, trying to disrupt heating at, at homes. So, of course, those people who get affected, it really affects them and their uh, opinions can, can vary. Also, those who are fighting, who lost their loved ones, who who have their relatives coming back without limbs. And we're now estimating about 300,000 people who have disabilities as a result of the war. So definitely you would hear different opinions. However, the majority of the Ukrainian people still try to remain positive, upbeat and focused on defending the country and defending democracy, human rights, rule of law. 
you know, we are there fighting and, and making the biggest sacrifice for the free world because we don't think Putin is going to stop with Ukraine. He may actually go on. Mm -hmm. And in the past two years, we have demonstrated that we can hold the, the territory, that we can inflict enormous damage on the aggressor, and we can even neutralize Black Sea Fleet and, and, and actually free up our uh, exports uh, from uh, Ukraine uh, unilaterally. And uh, if duly equipped, we can defeat Russian troops on the ground. And I think this is still a prevailing thought in Ukraine that, uh, you know, it's an existential war for us. Mm -hmm. If we don't fight, we're done. Uh, and, and if Russia stops fighting, it's the end of the war. So we need the support to be able to convince Russians on the battlefield that it's to their advantage to, to leave the country so that we can restore the sovereignty, we can restore the rules-based international system and achieve peace eventually. You talk about support. When things do drag on and continue and little if anything changes, support can dwindle. Are you worried that the vital backing you've been receiving so far will dissipate? Uh, Russia is batting on this war fatigue, on nuclear uh, threatening and blackmailing, and, and for this war to be dragging on uh, much, much longer. But I think they are testing the resolve of the democratic world. And therefore, it's so important to maintain unity, so important to stay focused on supporting the country. And we're extremely grateful to New Zealand for the support provided so far. Uh, it's vital to continue doing so, because if Russia succeeds in Ukraine, it will really undermine, it's already undermining international security, it's undermining regional security, it's emboldening other autocrats to go and use force and change borders by force. So, so therefore, there is so much at stake at the moment, and, and therefore, it's in the interest of the democratic countries, including New Zealand, to carry on supporting, supporting Ukraine. What are your thoughts about how this will end, Ambassador? Could there be a negotiated settlement, or is that something that's completely off the table for Ukraine? Uh, when Russians talk about negotiations with Ukraine, they talk about Ukraine's surrender. When Russians talk about peace talks, they talk about peace under occupation. The only tangible and viable plan is Ukraine's plan, which has been presented by Ukraine. It's a 10-point plan, which in addition to ending hostilities also includes nuclear safety, environmental protection, uh, respect to the UN Charter, and accountability for the war crimes, uh, justice which needs to be achieved, food security, energy security. There are many items out there and we're currently working with the world on in terms of implementing uh, this peace formula, Ukraine's peace formula. It could be a solution, uh, but Russia needs to uh, accept it. What is it that you want the New Zealand public to think about or remember when it comes to this ongoing war? I want you to remember one thing. Remember about the Ukrainian people uh, who are out there with every day of war. And the longer it drags on, we see more misery, more destruction, more death. And uh, I would like you to, to not only think about us, but also demonstrate your support, demonstrate your solidarity uh, by either demonstrating that on social media or make a donation to a charity or advocating New Zealand government to step up more support, to provide more support for Ukraine. And I think it's important because when we think of democracy, it may become abstract. It could be abstract, right? But, but at the end of the day, when you actually have people dying for it, it's, it's real for us. Ambassador of Ukraine to Australia and New Zealand, Vasil Morosnichenko, thank you very much for taking the time to chat. Thanks for having me. 
To mark the two years since the invasions, New Zealand has just pledged an additional $26 million in funding and extended its deployment of defence personnel in support of Ukraine to the middle of next year. But what does it feel like to be on the ground in Ukraine? The BBC's James Waterhouse has reported from there since the war began and he joins us now from Krividik. James, thank you for your time. Two years since the invasion, what are those who live in Ukraine telling you? How are they feeling? Well, I think... The best way to express it is that the the gloss is gone, if you like, when, you know, when Russia first waged its full scale invasion, people volunteered in their tens of thousands to fight or volunteer with the territorial defence. They would give their IDs and be given an automatic rifle and people also fled in their millions. There was that kind of traumatic edge to it and the West was fairly united in, in trying to help Ukraine against what was seen as the unthinkable for so long. I think now you have the stage of the war where it is a war of attrition, where both sides are just trying to hollow each other out. It's an arms race. It's a race to the bottom. And anyone in Ukraine who volunteered has done so. And a large proportion of them are either killed or injured. And so Ukraine is grappling with trying to mobilise men between you know up to the age of 60 but balance that with the economic needs of the country and president Zelensky has to balance that with the political cost that that might bring whereas russia can remain on a war footing it is a country steeped in history of spending a huge amount of its gdp on its military and ukraine is far more reliant on western help to at least match that and at the moment we are seeing a direct correlation between waning western help and Ukrainian forces being weakened by a shortage of ammunition and the personnel difficulties I mentioned. I'm in President Zelensky's home city of Klyvyi in the south. And like so many cities, things just feel a bit hollow. You know, there are fewer people around, fewer men, certainly, you notice it. And it is that stage of the war. The elite fighters we saw in the, the early days are gone. It is now a war of a, of a different nature. How does a country keep functioning through battle? Are there pockets of normality anywhere? So it really does depend on where you are. Now, you know, you've got a big neighbour in Australia. Ukraine isn't the size of Australia, but in European terms, it is the biggest country outside of Russia, which which creeps in. It's enormous. If, if you were to move it further west, it would stretch from France all the way to Poland. And so with that, you know, if you are in a city anywhere, the rule is really that nowhere is untouched by this war. You know, in Krivili, we have about, we've had about eight sirens today. It's a southern city, an hour or so's drive from the Dnipro River, which is a front line. And the sirens go off eight or nine times a day. And they're activated when missiles fly, are launched either by air or by ground or by sea. And those missiles take a varied route. And the whole oblast, the whole region is put on alert. And it's the risk people live with. That missile may well land close to you or on the building you're in if you don't act on the sirens. So that has an effect. So that is life for most people in Ukraine and Ukrainian cities. In the West, it's been a place of refuge, broadly speaking, but Lviv was hit last week, a city there. Kiev has come under constant attack throughout this war where Russia has resorted to this kind of grim new tactic of launching up to 150 missiles in a night to overwhelm Ukrainian air defences, which rely on Western help to be reloaded. 
But then when you're closer to the front line, it is a drastically different story. There's a saying in uh, the city of Kharkiv in the northeast, which is a 40-minute drive from Russia, where you hear explosions first and then sirens because of its proximity to the front line and Russia itself. But closer to the front line, you have settlements that are just reduced to rubble and still a vast minority of people, but nevertheless, they choose to stay there. And the, the sheer effort and resources and cost it takes to sustain fighting is always jaw-dropping when you go there. You know, war is a nasty business that swallows everything. And it's, 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 it's that drain which is posing some very difficult questions for Ukraine. James, is there any sense of how this resolves or ends? I mean, you can tempt me with a broad answer in that all signs at this moment in time are pointing to a long war. And while there are question marks over Western support, the pace of fighting can vary. So things can wind down and it suits both sides, more so Russia if things were to slow and Russia could replenish. The idea of trading territory for a peace negotiation, I think the pressure on that will only grow, but that also will take time. We've seen the fall of the eastern city of Avdivka recently, and it's a crucial moment here. We have Ukraine bursting at the seams on the front line. Russia is pushing in five different areas. It's not stopping. Europe is trying to form contingency plans. If the US was to pull out of NATO, if Donald Trump was to be elected, trying to you know, fill the ammunition and weapons gap if, if the US pulled its support. We're at a real critical juncture in this war, and such has often been the way with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and campaign of aggression, or whatever you want to call it, over the last 10 years. It's not just about Ukraine. You know, it's, there are a lot of forces at play, but it is Ukraine that will bear the brunt ultimately. But there are a lot of Baltic states like Lithuania that are very nervous and increasing military spending because they talk of time frames of three, five, seven years when Russia can replenish and, and push on and test that Article 5 of NATO. You know, an attack on one is an attack on all. So these are critical times. These are nervy times. But for Ukraine, you know, people here don't tend to think too long term. It's still a battle of survival and, and getting through day by day. BBC correspondent in Ukraine, James Waterhouse, thank you. Okay, so yesterday on Instagram, I decided to test everyone's knowledge after our food safety expert told us how many days leftovers should be in the fridge for. The answer was three days. 67.5% of you who voted got that one right, but I also put a few red herrings in there. I put five days as an option, which 16.7% chose, and then 15.7% said it was one day. It was a bit of fun, wasn't it? So to make sure you can play along next time, give NZ Stuff a follow on Instagram. And just while I have you here, I do have to quickly tell you about the leftovers rabbit hole I fell down yesterday because I ended up on this American site called statefoodsafety.com. It's a training and food safety certification business. And it had an infographic that had different types of food like all over it sort of the main food groups, if you will, and how long each of them can last in the fridge. It covered off some good basics like red meat and chicken. But then I did find it kind of funny that the infographic felt the need to include pizza specifically. Pizza had its own table section. When informing Americans about how long to leave things in the fridge for, pizza was included in there, as well as differentiating between opened and unopened packets of hot dogs. There was no advice on veggies. But hey, at least people will now know that an unopened packet of hot dogs can stay in the fridge for two weeks, but an opened packet can only be in there for one. 
Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it is a day of delight for die-hard rugby fans. No more warm-ups. The dress rehearsal is over, my friends, because Super Rugby Pacific begins its third season tonight for real. The Chiefs, the Crusaders, the Rebels, the Brumbies, the Force and the Hurricanes are all playing later today with more action to come on Saturday. Can you believe it? And at the same time, we're in the middle of a major international rugby competition, the Six Nations, just that little old thing, with matches between Ireland and Wales and Scotland and England on Sunday New Zealand time. It's a whole weekend of rugby entertainment. I can't believe I'm saying all of this. So who better to guide us through what to expect than the wonderful Sky commentator Jeff Wilson, who is here once again for our newsable sports segment, proudly brought to you by Sky, your sport unrivaled. Jeff, how are you? We've not caught up this year. That's a big intro. That is a big <laughs> intro with a Can lot I of games of rugby. Water? I'm hoping, hoping you're not... Uh, looking for detail on every on. single game. You we know could I be am. here a while. Uh, no. How do you, where do you start? Well, where, do you, where are you going to start? Seriously. Well, I want to start with the Crusaders because no razor. No one wants you to start with the Crusaders because <laughs> we end with the Crusaders every year. Uh, no, but we do need to look at the Crusaders though because no razor. Stalwarts retired. There's injuries. What's their season going to look like this year? It's going to be challenged this year because as much as there's no Scott Robertson, there's no Richie Moana. So mm. you're talking about arguably the greatest coach in Super Rugby history, and I would say arguably the most successful and best Super Rugby player. So you take those two out of the equation, it's time for someone else to step up. Big news this week that no Will Jordan for the remainder of the season for yeah. them. He's not going to play a part. So ultimately, you've lost your biggest attacking weapon and your general. So they've got mm. some work to do, and they're up against the Chiefs team are really motivated to, to make a mark in the first week, I would say. Um, but for the Crusaders, um, it's a tough start. Do you reckon the Chiefs are going to be the main local team to beat this season? Look, every team needs to stay healthy. I mean, that's mm. the, the ultimately the, the starting side or the, the, the twenty. There's twenty players in each squad, are, you know, of the highest quality. But when you start getting a bit banged up and then you get some injuries, it's it's how good your depth is, and that's where the Crusaders have been streets ahead of everybody else. Well, they don't have that depth this year. A lot of the squads are in a similar position where. They're going to start their best side. It's going to look fantastic. The Chiefs on paper, though, they look as though they've been at least affected. Yes, they've lost Sam Kane and you've got Brody Vitalik, but they seem to have been able to prepare for that and almost have been looking towards this and going, we need to have cover for them for next season, and they've got that. Gosh, I'd forgotten how many of those big and well-known names had left. Uh, what about overseas teams? Who are the ones to watch? Are any of the Aussie teams looking dangerous or maybe the Fijian Indrua that, that needs watching out there? Well, the Fijian Indrua made the playoffs last year. The danger for them is that they've only won one game away from home in two seasons. 
So that's what they've got to discover. What's happened in Australia? A lot of guys have shifted and moved. But the one team that's got culture, history, a legacy of consistency in Super Rugby are the Brumbies. Mm. Let's chat Six Nations. Who do you reckon is going to take that out? Ireland's at the top of the table at the moment, but there's still this weekend's game. There's still a couple more weeks to go. Scotland's uh, third at the moment behind England. It's Ireland's competition to lose. I mean, they did the work in the first week when they beat France. You know, and they had some certain things go their way. Um, they were really good when they played Italy. Oh, they're, just, they're just doing it easy at the moment, Ireland. And the one thing that haven't taken a step back from the Rugby World Cup through their disappointment, but the majority of the squad's still there. So they're really, really good. I still reckon Wales will storm up the ranks from its second to last position. They're no, still I, 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 there's still hope. Um, well, they said that about the, uh, the Australian cricket team. Guess what? You're right. There was hope. There was hope there, and they got there on the final ball, of which I, I heard you were at the game. Yes, I was there. I mean, you must have felt the energy in the stadium in the last over. Okay, I will admit that, yes, I leave for cricket early to make sure that I didn't get stuck in the throngs of people leaving. I watched it at home. Let's be fair, though. It was a wonderful game of cricket, but the disappointment, mm. um, in, in some ways, maybe it was better that you, you weren't there to witness it. Did it, did it give you a <laughs> refund on the, the overs you missed live? Or? Actually, no, I should probably email Sky Stadium. Eh? Uh, but it is games like that one that that's why we love cricket, right? Yeah, exactly. Because it it's, is it's, it's right. so exciting. They're few and far between, but I can tell you what, I just quickly, we talk about Super Rugby, I think people can expect something different this year. Um, the fact that, and last year they made some really good strides in trying to speed up the game. They're determined to make it even faster this year once again. They're determined to have less TMO, not say interference, but interaction going into the game. So mm. I know the team at Super Rugby, I know the players and coaches, they're determined to produce a game that's entertaining to watch, both live and on television. And to me, that's what they're going to be held accountable to. But more importantly, go the Highlanders. Let's just make it clear, go the Highlanders. Come on, team. <laughs> Jeff Wilson, thank you for joining us for News of All Sports segment, proudly brought to you by Sky Your Sport Unrivaled. And you can watch every match from this weekend's opening round of Super Rugby Pacific and round three of the Six Nations live on Sky Sport 1 or stream on Sky Sport Now. And I'm not finished because Sky Open is also going to have free-to-air live start coverage of the Highlanders v Moana Pacifica from 7pm Saturday and delayed coverage of Chiefs v Crusaders from 9.30 Friday. I can't believe how much there is to watch this weekend. That is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. If you've enjoyed what you've been hearing, make sure you're following us on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. Go out there and watch some rugby. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.